today's read, The Miseducation of the Negro by Carter G. Woodson. Chapter 17. Higher Strivings in the Service of the Country. Another factor the Negro needs is a new figure in politics. One who will not concern himself so much with what others can do for him as with what he can do for himself. He will know sufficient about the system of government not to carry his troubles to the federal functionaries and thus confess himself a failure in the community in which he lives. He will know that his freedom from peonage and lynching will be determined by the extent that he can develop into a worthy citizen and impress himself upon his community. The new Negro in politics will not be so unwise as to join the ignorant delegations from conferences and convention which stage annual pilgrimages to the White House to complain to the president because they have socially and economically failed to measure up to demands of self-preservation. The new Negro in politics will understand clearly that in the final analysis, federal functionaries cannot do anything about these matters within the police powers of the states, and he will not put himself in the position of being received with coldness and treated with contempt as these ignorant misleaders of the Negro race have been from time immemorial. The new Negro in politics then will appeal to his own and to such friends of other races in his locality as believe in social justice. If he does something for himself, others will do more for him. The increasing vigor of the race, then, will not be frittered away in partisan strife in the interest of the oppressors of the race. It ought not to be possible for the political bosses to induce almost any Negro in the community to abandon his permanent employment to assist them and their ilk in carrying out some program for the selfish purposes of the ones engineering the scheme. It ought not to be possible for the politicians to distribute funds at the rate of 50 or $100 a head among the outstanding ministers and use them and their congregations in vicious partisan strife. It is most shameful that some ministers resort to religion as a camouflage to gain influence in the churches only to use such power for selfish political purpose. The Negro should endeavor to be a figure in politics, not a tool for the politicians. This higher role can be played not by parking all of the votes of a race on one side of the fence, as both blacks and whites have done in the South, but by independent action. The Negro should not censure the Republican Party for forgetting him, and he should not blame the Democratic Party for opposing him. Neither can the South blame anyone but itself for its isolation in national politics. Any people who will vote the same way for three generations without thereby 
obtaining results ought to be ignored and disfranchised. As a minority element, the Negro should not knock at the door of any particular political party. He should appeal to the Negroes themselves and from them should come harmony and concerted action for a new advance to that larger freedom of men. The Negro should use his vote rather than give it away to reward the dead for some favors in the distant past. He should clamor for the he should clamor not for the few offices earmarked as Negro jobs, but for the rec- but for the recognition of these despised persons as men according to the provision of the Constitution of the United States. The few state and national offices formerly set aside for Negroes have paled into an insignificance when compared with the many highly lucrative positions now occupied by Negroes as a result of their development in other spheres. Sometimes a Negro prominent in education, business, or professional life can earn more in a few months than the most successful politician can earn in years. These political jobs, moreover, have diminished in recent years because the increase of race prejudice, which this policy has doubtless aided, supplies the political leaders with an excuse for not granting their Negro co-workers anything additional. The new Negro in politics must learn something that the old ward healers have never been able to realize. Namely, not only that the few offices allotted Negroes are insignificant, but that even if the Negro received a proportionate share of the spoils, the race cannot hope to solve any serious problem by the changing fortunes of politics. Real politics, the science of government, is deeply rooted in the economic foundation of the social order. To figure greatly in politics, the Negro must be a great figure in politics. A class of people slightly lifted above poverty, therefore, can never have much influence in political circles. The Negro must develop character and worth to make him a desirable everywhere so that he will not have to knock at the doors of political parties, but will have them thrown open to him. The new Negro in politics must not ask the party for money. He must not hire himself for a pittance to swing voters in line. He must contribute to the campaign of the party pleasing him, rather than draw upon it for an allowance to drive the wolf from the door during the three months of the political canvas. It will be considered a stroke of good fortune that a Negro of such influence and character has aligned himself with a party, and this fact will speak eloquently for the element to which he belongs. The new Negro in politics, moreover, must not be a politician. He must be a man. He must try to give the world something rather than extract something from it. The world, as he, as he should see it, does not owe him anything, certainly not a political office. 
and he should not try solely to secure one, and thus waste valuable years which might be devoted to the development of something of an enduring value. If he goes into office, it should be as a sacrifice because his valuable time is required elsewhere. If he is needed by his country in a civil position, he may respond to the call as a matter of duty, for his usefulness is otherwise assured. From such a Negro, then, we may expect sound advice, intelligent guidance, and constructive effort for the good of all elements of our population. When such Negroes go into office, you will not find them specializing in things which peculiarly, peculiar, peculiarly, I can't, peculiarly concern the Negroes, offering merely anti-lynching bills and measures for pensioning the freedmen. The new Negro in politics will see his opportunity not in thus restricting himself, but envisioning the whole social and economic order with his race as a part of it, and thus working for the benefit of all, as prompted by his liberal-mindedness, the new Negro will do much more to bring the elements together for common good than he will be able to do in prating only of the ills of his particular corner and extending his hand for a deucer. In suggesting herein the rise of the new Negro in politics, the author does not have in mind the so-called radical Negroes who have read and misunderstood Karl Marx in his, and his disciples and would solve the political as well as the economic problems of the race by an immediate application of these principles. History shows that although large numbers of people have actually tried to realize such pleasant dreams, they have, in the final analysis, come back to a social program based on competition. If no one is to enjoy the fruits of his exceptional labor any more than the individual who is not prepared to render such extraordinary service, not one of a thousand will be sufficiently humanitarian to bestir himself to achieve much of importance. And force applied in this case to stimulate such action has always broken down. If the excited whites who are bringing to the Negro such strange doctrines are insane enough to believe them, the Negroes themselves should learn to think before it is too late. History shows that it does not matter who is in power or what revolutionary forces take over the government. Those who have not learned to do for themselves and have to depend solely on others never obtain any more rights or privilege in the end than they had in the beginning. Even if the expected social upheaval comes, the Negro will be better prepared to take care of himself in the subsequent reconstruction if he develops the power to ascend to a position higher up after the radically democratic people will have recovered from their revelry in an impossible utopia. To say that the Negro cannot develop sufficiently in the business world 
to measure arms with present-day capitalists is to deny actual facts, refute history, and discredit the Negro as a capable competitor in the economic battle of life. No man knows what he can do until he tries. The Negro race has never tried to do very much for itself. The race has great possibilities. Properly awakened, the Negro can do the so-called impossible in the business world and thus help to govern rather than merely be governed. In the failure to see this and the advocacy of the destruction of the whole economic order to right social wrong, we see again the tendency of the Negro to look to some force from without to do for him what he must learn to do for himself. The Negro needs to become radical and the race will never amount to anything until it does become so. But this radicalism should come from within. The Negro will be very foolish to resort to extreme measures in behalf of foreign movements before he learns to suffer and die to right his own wrongs. There is no movement in the world working especially for the Negro. He must learn to do this for himself or be exterminated just as the American Indian has faced his doom in the setting sun. Why should the Negro wait for someone from without to urge him to self-assertion when he sees himself robbed by his employer, defrauded by his merchant, and hushed up by government agents of injustice? Why wait for a spur to action when he finds his manhood insulted, his women outraged, and his fellow men lynched for amusement. The Negroes have always had sufficient reason for being radical, and it looks silly to see them taking up the cause of others who pretend that they are interested in the Negro when they merely mean to use the race as a means to an end, when the desired purpose of these so-called friendly groups will have been served. They will have no further use for the Negro, and will drop them, just as the Republican machine has done. The radicals bring forward to the argument that the Negro, being of a minority group, will always be overpowered by others. From the point of view of the selfish elements, this may be true, and certainly it has worked thus for some time, but things do not always turn out according to mathematical calculations. In fact, the significant developments in history have never been thus determined. Only the temporary and the trivial can be thus forecast. The human factor is always difficult for the materialist to evaluate, and the prophecies of the alarmist are often upset. Why should we expect less in the case of the Negro?